0: I'm Britt and my name is Alyssa and this is Skeletales and this is a podcast where we strive to answer the age-old question of, is my dead grandma watching me? This is the perfect evening to
1: answer that question. We are in our tall wingback chairs with our cups of coffee and we are speaking with a very special guest on the show. We are talking with Miranda Young from Ghost Bike Explorations. Miranda is known as the ghost biker. She's a solo paranormal explorer and historian that travels to different haunted and historic locations on her Harley Davidson motorcycle. She runs a web series called Ghost Biker Exploration and has traveled to some of the most haunted places in America.
2: Welcome, Miranda. We're glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you guys for having me on today.
1: Yeah. No so problem. we're gonna berate you with loads of questions. Are you ready?
0: I'm ready. <laughs> Bring it. Okay. So I would like to know what the ghost biker origin story is. Like a Harley riding, paranormal investigator, and a female one at that. Seems pretty unique. And I'm wondering which came first, the Harleys or the Ghosts, and then what made you combine the two?
2: Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Um, you know, and, and really what better way to, you know, kind of live your life and live your your passion than, than being able to combine the two together. And so uh, for me, essentially, I've I've always had an interest in the paranormal since I was a kid. That really kind of stemmed more from spending a lot of time with my grandmother. Uh, she lived next door, and so she always shared a lot of different stories growing up here in the Appalachian Mountains talking about folklore and some of the, as we call them, haints that she experienced from the time. And so... always had an interest in that always had an interest in folklore and would spend as much time as I could researching as as the years passed you know and really kind of diving in deep to the historical side of things as well as um, the folklore and so and then I'd always had an interest in motorcycles as well I didn't start riding until I was in my late 20s because my family were not a family of bikers Um, they were really not they were really not for it <laughs> in the <laughs> beginning, but I loved it. And one of my earliest toys when I was a kid was was a little uh, sportster motorcycle. And so I fell in love with that 60s, 70s model style of, of motorcycles. So um started riding in my late 20s, and I found that after I started investigating, I, I officially joined a team in um, ab- about just a little over 12 years ago. I joined a team And I found that I was spending a lot of time going to some of these investigations on my motorcycle. And then if if I wasn't doing an investigation with the team, if I was traveling for a business trip or just out on the weekends, I would usually be on my motorcycle and doing a lot of uh, urbex and urban exploration, that sort of thing, more so than uh, actual investigating by myself. And so I started putting these photographs and started putting these stories out on my social media sites. And one of my friends was like, you know, rather than documenting this through photography, why don't you, you know, put it together as a video? Because people would find that interesting. And so I kind of sat there and, and thought about it long and hard, Um my background is in marketing. And so, uh, so my mind is always turning in that way. Like, how can I brand this? How could I market this? And I found that I was really doing that a lot more than I was investigating with the team, you know, as far as going out on my own. So, um, so I sat down, came up with my logo, came up with the fact that I wanted to release all of this as a series rather than just investigating a location and, putting you know an episode out I really wanted to make it something with a build-up doing you know podcast interviews doing um, media blitzes and stuff and really building up excitement and then releasing the episodes um, each week that uh, would like I said would kind of be like a series and so um, I didn't tell anyone what I was doing and I ended up getting it put together and um, released and and found that it was taking more time than I could do. I really wanted to devote the time to, the inve- uh, to my solo project rather than the team because I was doing their marketing, doing their design, doing their promotions and stuff. And so after that first season, it just really took off and, um, you know, started doing it full time rather than and being a solo investigator rather than. With the team, so um, yeah, that's really kind of how how the whole thing got started it It really I wasn't expecting it to take off as much as it did.
1: Do you find it easier to work solo than with a team?
2: Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's got its positives and negatives both ways. Um, I really enjoyed working with the team because these guys were really experienced. I was the only female on the team at the time, and I was with them for about eight years. I felt like I was really able to cut my teeth on some great locations. We did both commercial, we also did residential. And so I felt like I really learned a lot from them as far as like best practices and, and being able to kind of go in and, and take a unique approach with some some of the different different uh, experiments and stuff that we were doing but it's hard to find you know in in the paranormal it's hard to find a good team that you trust going into some of these locations and these situations so when i meet people who are on teams and these teams are are really tight and really um, family oriented and that sort of thing it's it's a real blessing because it is hard to find people that There's not drama or that there's not issues going with that. So um, so that is definitely a challenge for myself. It's either just myself at the location or myself and my videographer. I I rarely do more than two people unless I'm doing a collaboration with somebody um, that has its own challenges because one, the the safety of things, whether yeah. it be the spiritual safety, um because when you're one person, you're taking on all that energy that's going back and forth, you know, between you and the spirits. You're giving a hundred percent of what's going on around you, and you're also taking that in. So if you are in a place that does tend to be maybe a little more negative, that's a lot of energy to take on. Even if it's not negative, you know, when they're drawing from you or when there's a lot going on around, there's a lot of displacement of energy. Um, So that can kind of make it a challenge. Also, you really have to think on your toes because I, I feed off a lot of other people. If somebody's like, oh, let's play K2 hide and seek or let's try this experiment like an Estes method or something, you're limited um, creatively sometimes sometimes you have a little more creativity because you can just do whatever you want but you are limited because maybe it's like somebody will say something that's with you that will kind of stimulate a thought or an idea so so that kind of makes it a challenge as well also, just the sheer amount of evidence and research and stuff that that goes into it. I like to spend a lot of research on the forefront before I go in so I can carefully plan what I'm going to do. I'm the one that's having to do that. And then after the fact, I also put a lot of static cameras in my investigation. You know, I, I keep my equipment bag kind of small because I am on the motorcycle, yeah. but also I've come up with different ways to be able to film whenever I'm not actively investigating. And so, you know, if I have eight cameras set up with eight audio recorders and I'm there for eight hours, that's a lot of time to go through audio and video. So I have to do all of that as well as either the video. My primary video comes from either my camera that I'm carrying or the camera that my videographer is carrying. And then we're adding in the static camera elements and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And that's why I tend to release as a season rather than just releasing throughout the year, because it helps me say in two weeks, I'm going to have my audio gone through. In four weeks, I'm going to have my video gone through rather than just trying to release something consistently after each investigation. We have not learned that
0: lesson yet, but it's coming. <laughs> 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 One day. <laughs> so are you more scared, I like, the safety and precautions you are talking about? Because I'd be scared going alone. Like, I'm scared to take a walk in the woods by myself, let alone going into a building that is known haunted to be haunted. Location. Have you ever, like, taken off from a location? And then are you more scared of the people, humans, or the spirits you're encountering? So... I haven't ever
2: ran off, um, you know, for me, you know, I'm I'm always uh, that's what I'm there for. So I, I I'm like, bring on the activity now. That doesn't mean I don't get startled because I have had things, you know, I've had things pull things off the wall. Um, I've had disembodied voices that catch you in the moment that that you hear and the audio also captures. So I've had times where I've been been not scared but startled and I also I like to sleep in these locations if I can
1: oh my god (laughs) yeah
2: just to see if if you know if I can be there for say 12 hours I like to investigate actively as long as I can but lay down for an hour or two sometimes three hours just to see because I tend to get different activity whenever I'm sleeping so I always like to test that you know active investigation versus passive style investigating. And so um, I've had things that have happened when I've been asleep that had they happened when I was awake, I might have walked out. But
0: uh, (laughs) Can you give us an example of that, please?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one example was I I did spend the night at Brushy Mountain State Prison. It was part of a weekend investigation. And so I had been investigating all night the first night and I laid down about it was about 8.30 in the morning for three and a half hours in this area that they call the hole. It's pitch black, it's solitary confinement, and it's where they would put the worst of the worst. And basically Um. when you were in there, The doors are closed. You had two buckets, one to use the bathroom in, one that had your food in it. And after these guys would be in there for, say, 28 days, they were so sensory deprived. They couldn't see very well. Their hearing was very acute. And they were having a hard time walking because of the confined space. So I decided I was going to sleep in there. And so I put recorders all around me. I have a recorder in the cell as well as an audio recorder. I also had recorders outside of the building just to show transparency that there was nobody that could come into this area. And uh, I caught probably three and a half or three minutes and 15 seconds of some of the best class A EVPs I've ever heard. Everything from solid footsteps something I'd been asleep for about 30 minutes something literally walks up to my cell door <gasps> and says night night in oh! this guttural growl oh, voice no. oh my and um when I so heard they're that watching you. yes they're they, watching you they're they like they are aware yes that is. and that's the creepiest part because it's not just that there's this, but see, there was intelligent and residual activity going on. And this activity, it was like when you know that they're not only intelligent, but they're also aware of what you're doing, it changes the whole atmosphere. And that's one of the reasons I do like to sleep there because it's like, I don't know if because I'm going into these locations sometimes, if they're maybe not intimidated, but not wanting to speak for whatever reason. But when you're in that vulnerable sleep state, whether it be because of an astral projection thing or whether it be because you're more vulnerable and you're just there, um, the activity is just completely different. It's almost like they're more curious, like, what is this person doing, you know, here in the solitary (laughs) confinement cell and a woman at that? And so, um, but the responses that I got that particular day I got conversations. There were no men on the property. And I got conversations of two men in. So there's three cells there and it's stone walls in between them. You're literally in this hole. And there was conversation going on back and forth. Um, I also got this very sad, pitiful, just help me. It was a male's voice. Um, A lot of residual. So there was there was no power still no power in this building but up directly above was the the washer and dryers and the laundry area and so because i was sleeping in there early on in the morning it would make sense there were probably somebody there doing their laundry and there's this unmistakable sound of you know the sound that the dryer makes when the door opens and closes uh-huh. it's it's so unmistakable and then the sound when the stuff is tumbling through the dryer so you could hear that but there's no power in this entire building so you could hear that going and then at one point i don't know what this was but it sounded like someone was just sitting there for five minutes bouncing a ball like bouncing against the floor and the wall the floor and the wall and for five whole minutes this rubber ball sound And so when I was talking to a guy on a podcast, he actually used to be a former corrections officer. And he said, well, that makes sense because during the 70s and 80s, that was one of the tool or one of the um, items that they would give inmates because with a rubber ball, you can't really fashion that into any type of contraband. And so he said it would make sense that it could be a rubber ball bouncing. So there was both residual as well as intelligent activity going on during that point in time when I was there in that cell. Um, So,
1: Oh, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, and and I've had that happen several other instances of of locations I've slept at, and I try to be really careful. I mean, I won't sleep at an overly negative type place. Um, I did that once, and we had some strange stuff happen. But again, if it is overly negative, I try not to investigate that alone. I have someone that I do like to go with me just for you know spiritual reasons and uh, and stuff, but. To answer the second part of your question, definitely the living scares me more Um <laughs> yeah. just because you just never know in
0: some of these places. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I always tell my kids. or I'm like, it's not really the ghosts you need to be scared of. Like, even That's though true. I am scared of ghosts, but it's definitely <laughs> the real people that freak me out for sure more. It It is. As far as like the negative spirits do you take precautions not to bring any of them home with you has it have they ever traveled home with you have you experienced anything like that
2: Um I do take precautions um I am a very uh I'm a very spiritual person I'm also a very uh, uh, superstitious person as well. And so I do I do my prayers of protection before and after when I'm there. And and if I'm being upfront and honest about it, I'm probably usually praying while I'm there just, you know, because I I don't want to I don't want to bring anything home. And also I, I don't actively go seeking out negative. I tend to like to take it from a historical perspective and the stories and legends that people give. A lot of the places I visit tend to be a lot of the lesser known locations. And so I want to take these stories that the people from that region know and love or have heard all their life and go in and see if I can get any type of validation from the location that I'm at. So I try to take that approach. Now, I do there are certain locations that do kind of have maybe like a negative story to them. I am fascinated by and, you know, there's I have a friend that I do tend to investigate those locations with just to kind of see um, like Revenant Acres. Uh, they it had a very dark history and we went and investigated that. It was said that basically they didn't like having women inside there. Mm. And we wanted to see if if we would get the same type of reaction as some of these other teams. And they had actually never had two women stay at this location by themselves. Um, and of course, all of these locations that I'm mentioning, I do have on my series that people can go and watch. But as far as all of that goes, I, I tend to not really seek that out. But there have been there have been two instances where I have had something follow me home, or at least I've gotten an activity in my house after and one of them is a location that we're actually turning into a documentary but i covered it on six different episodes from my season and it was a house called the house on on sunset hill and um this was i was actually there investigating a local legend so the local legend is of a monk who was killed in a train train wreck um there was a flood flooded out the tracks uh the train the train crashed and in the community, this local doctor came in and was treating all the survivors from the train wreck. It was said that there was a monk on the train and that uh, the doctor actually took his body back to his house, put it in his tub, um, dissolved the skin from the bones and used the skeleton in his doctor's office. So this is a story here in East Tennessee that people have heard far and wide. And so I was able to go investigate the train wreck site. And it just so happened that my guy who was doing my videography, he had connections to the family who had purchased the alleged tub in an (sighs) estate sale. Yeah. And so this tub was sitting in an abandoned home in storage. Nobody had lived in the home for about 12 years. And so I was able to take the second part of that investigation, go to the the house and investigate the tub. And so we had so much activity the entire time while we were filming the investigation and then filming the B-roll and filming all of that, that I thought there's got to be something connected to this house. Either the house is having activity because of the tub Or it's kind of piling on with the activity that's already associated with it. So I reached out to the homeowner and said, did you ever have, and she's an elderly lady who never goes into the home. I said, did you happen to have activity while you were there in your house? And she starts telling me these crazy stories from the 70s and 80s of things that happened in this house. So I'm like, may I investigate your home? She's like, well, while you're there, go ahead. So. I didn't have a lot of equipment because I was doing this tub. Well, anyways, I investigate the house. I end up bringing in my friend that my friend Tiffany, that investigates the darker locations with me. We got some crazy stuff. So we this episode ended up taking up six episodes between my first and second season. And we found there were five spirits in the home. And this home, it was like unlike anything I've ever experienced. You bring a recorder, you bring a camera into that home, it's like they want to put a show on. Wow. Other times, it's like you go and things get quiet. And so this house became essentially an obsession. And I was coming into my house here, and, and I don't smoke, but I would come in and when I would be working on different um, uh, video clips, that sort of thing, listening to EVPs, it would feel it would smell like somebody who was smoking had just come up around me. I would come in and it would smell like there had been somebody smoking in my home. Um, you would feel like you weren't alone, you would see shadows. And then it just felt like this house was drawing me in because the homeowner essentially gave us a key and was like, come in anytime you want. And so I'm like, oh, what can I try? What kind of, you know. What kind of experiments can I try at this home since I have any opportunity to come in here? So there was that one. And then there was the, um, and, and I'll just say that this house I was able to show from conception when we first found out about the story and found out with this local legend all the way to contacting, um, a demonologist to actually come in and, be able to let us film where they cleansed this home and he had never had when when we showed it he had never had somebody having like equipment to pick up these these um, sounds and voices and stuff while they were doing that so it was a really it was really fascinating because I had never been to essentially a home exorcism and he hadn't had anyone record it so we had to be careful with what we showed just because it is such a special thing. So we yeah. couldn't show everything we, they were doing, but we were able to show all the strange and crazy stuff to even the floor catching on fire while we were doing <gasps> this. It was Get it, out wild. I'd never okay. experienced anything I feel like I'm going
1: to need some more details.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the other, the other one was Hell's Bar Dam in Guild, Tennessee. Um, I did have something come in. It was messing with my dog. Um, and this one seemed to just kind of be a passerby that I uh, did put recorders out. Did capture it actually saying my dog's name on the recorder while I was gone, and uh, captured something following me through the house at one point. But basically, after about three weeks, whatever it was, moved on. I don't know if it was an acknowledgement thing, but that's that's been the only two times that I've ever had anything. And the only reason I think the Sunset Hill House had that type of experience was because I was so deep into it and they don't have any activity at that house now. Um, but we wanted, because we had so much footage, I was talking with my videographer and, and because it took up so much real estate and people are constantly asking about it, we thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to tie all of those episodes together and actually put it into a documentary. I've got a quick
1: question about this Sunset Hill House. The owner, she said, in the seventies, there were she had a lot of experiences. What were some of her experiences there?
2: So, several of the experiences that she actually had was um, her daughters, for one, had um, gotten uh, they had they had gotten a Ouija board. Whether you believe that you know it, it it's just a regular tool or not. Um, they had gotten involved with some things with this Ouija board and they were unable to destroy it they were they were playing it in there and they were unable to destroy it and everything they did it would it would continue to come back and so uh, they ended up burning it behind the house and after they burnt it, the homeowner herself it was like she was not herself for about three days after that happened um and then also, her husband had pass, passed away inside the home. It was of natural causes, um, but it was kind of a freak thing, had um, a heart attack in the bathroom. And so she had an issue at one point. She actually got thrown out of the bathroom. One of the spirits, um, when we were having communication in there, we actually were addressing him. We believe that one of the spirits liked to mimic Her ex-husband, it was not her ex-husband, but like to mimic him. And it was interesting because I had the homeowner record uh, her voice and uh, ask some different questions. And as soon as we set the recorder out with her voice, it was the creepiest thing. Um, The floor starts shaking and all the tools start going off. And so the vibe after because what I did was I set uh, a recorder out over overnight with uh, the homeowner's voice, with pre-recorded questions. And then I had it in a loop where basically it would play voices for about 45 minutes and then about two hours of just silence. And then it would play again for 45 minutes. I wanted to see if those voices triggered anything with the tools that we had setting out. Nobody in the house at all. And um, every time that homeowner would talk, the tools would go off and so just throughout the night well the next day when i came in to pick everything up there was just this vibe that it's like you kind of almost like you tricked us it's like she was not here you know and the homeowner started feeling drawn to go back to the house she she didn't go back in there um after that because like i said she is elderly but um yeah, that was some of the experience that she had. It kind of tied in with this this Ouija board and some of this darker, uh, dark magic type yeah. activity that was going on there.
1: Oh, that's so fascinating. You go into this house to investigate this bathtub, not knowing <laughs> that in this bathroom, her husband's died in there. So, yeah. of course, just a wealth of activity, I'm sure.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, she... Um, I mean, we we got we had a lot of things trigger in this activity. And and there's really a weird turn of events because the uh, the demonologist that came in, uh, he did bring uh, his partner. She's got some some spiritual gifts and she was able to pick up on some interesting things that helped us to get a resolve. And like I said, it's just kind of unreal how things turn out with this. So.
0: So I'm sorry, did you say that this is an existing documentary that is out right now, or you're working on it? And it we're working on out? it. So, okay, okay, so, so yes. stay tuned.
2: Yes, season everybody. one and season two actually covers this house. Okay. Um, season two also has that where I slept at Brushy Mountain Prison. Um, okay. So the season finale of, of uh, season two is where we actually are doing the uh, uh, cleansing of the home. And uh, we're going to be taking... All of those episodes. Episode two is the one where we actually talk about the monk and do okay. the investigation of the tub. And so it all just kind of transitions throughout season one and season two. We're so we're gonna take snippets from all the episodes as well as unreleased footage to turn this into a documentary. Nice. Very cool. Oh, it's fascinating. So how do you how do you pick the locations that you go to? So a lot of them I get from from different authors that that maybe write books about like say for instance haunted Chattanooga or um you know southern ghost stories that sort of thing so I like to look at these books um and and read these stories. Like I said a lot of them are the lesser known ones. Um I also people will reach out to me and they'll say hey have you heard about the legend of I don't know, like maybe Crybaby Bridge or something like that. Have you heard about this place? And so I'll start doing more research into it. Those are the ones I really like to highlight. Like the monk story, um, that one came from a book, uh, 13 Tennessee Ghosts and Jeffrey. And so um, this author, she writes about a lot of different state ghosts. Um, and so um, first season, I was trying to kind of keep things sort of local, to where I was just to see if things take off. So I utilize some of the stories from that book. So really just kind of going in, trying to go to these locations, see if can get any type of activity, not just telling the story, but also sharing um, the location and sharing information about these communities that I visit, because that kind of increases and promotes the tourism to the area. And that's kind of where the biker side comes in um kind of letting people know about some of these areas that maybe they're not aware
0: of. I know earlier I asked you about the motorcycles. Do you mm-hmm. ride a vintage motorcycle then? Your Harley is it you said you like the the 60s and 70s speed I lo- sportsters.
2: Yeah. I, so I love the the vintage style. This one that I have it is a throwback to a 69. It it's not a 69 uh, version, but uh, it's a 69 bobber and uh, it's all matte black it's got the peanut nice. tank that the sportsters are known for so yeah it's it's a throwback but it's um modern it's i think it's like a 2011
0: got it well i just wanted to mention that um brit and i are no strangers to two-wheeled vehicles we were nice. uh, known to tear up the bad streets of uh, denver on our 49 cc scooters um back in the <laughs> nice. day we <You> <laughs> <get> had <laughs> our scooters to- I had a Honda Ruckus and she had a Baja, but like there was a bunch of us. I, I actually did have a little a triumph, uh, like an old triumph for a little bit. Um, And it was cool. I had very bad luck. I broke my husband's leg very quickly. I got pulled over, got a ticket. And then I also had a motor mount b- bolt drop into the chain and lock up my rear tire, like literally second or third time. No helmet, wearing oh capri God. pants, probably flip flops. I don't even know. <laughs> Oh. Um. Luckily, I don't. I don't know. How, it was going downhill under a bridge. Brits. We talked about near death experiences, and that was probably one of mine. That in my head, I was like, "What am I doing wrong?" What, and it wasn't anything I was doing wrong. And then we stopped, and I was like, "I'm going to get hit by a car." Let's move. And only afterwards, I was like, "Oh, that could have been like extremely yeah. bad." But yeah, you know. So I just want. We don't know anything about Harley's, but we, <laughs> we, we've been known to. <laughs> hey, given a
1: motorcycle, we could possibly ride it without dying <laughs> hey, Except a Lisa, I say it doesn't
2: matter Lisa. two wheels come on I do uh, haunted motorcycle rides and stuff oh, and fun. we always tell people it's like doesn't matter if you're on a scooter as long as it will keep up on the on the back roads there come on yeah I nice. wouldn't
0: <laughs> it was like maxed out at like 32 right <laughs> like the old <laughs> like, like,
1: we'll see you guys in like six hours yeah Bye. they
0: were perfect for that though um <laughs> as far as the um I'm fascinated about ghosts but I also love like near death experiences mm-hmm. and stuff like that and I feel like a lot of motorcyclists <laughs> have those because the crashes can be so terrible. Um have you ever had one yourself or anything strange or unusual that's happened like that or encountered any one who's had a very an experience that's stuck with you, I guess. For
2: me, it would have actually been when I was filming there uh, at Brushy Mountain. So there's a road that goes by there that's uh, very well known uh, called the Devil's Triangle. And so it's uh, 116. And, you know, it it connects to two other roads. But if you ride all of 116, you go past Brushy Mountain. It's extremely curvy. It's one of those that, like, you never know if somebody is going to be mowing their yard and kicking grass out into the road, which is extremely dangerous for bikers um sometimes there's sheer drop-offs without guardrails there and sometimes the road is broken and they've got it closed down to where they're repairing the road it's also the area of In that entire area, that community, all these little communities that were there were little mining communities, and so um, the Freighterville mining disaster occurred on this road where there was a mine explosion and it killed all the men in the town except for three guys. Um, So there's a lot of things that happened, a lot of history on one sixteen, and it's just a you really have to be um, a, a seasoned biker on this road because you've always got to have your eyes open and so we were filming because again i like to kind of highlight roads and highlight locations um, when i'm doing these investigations so i was talking about highway 116 and as i'm riding it my my throttle kept getting stuck And the throttle cable, as it goes in, it's got this plastic sheath around it, around the cable. And, you know, it goes into the hole whenever you're throttling up and down. And it would get stuck on that plastic sheath. and. I couldn't come off the throttle. So you had to manually push your throttle forward or sit there and continue clutching, feather the clutch to keep yourself from running off. And there's some hairpin switchback curves on this. Oh, and I'll dude. never forget riding. And I had, you know, the my videographer was riding and we were taking turns. Riding in front and behind, and then I also had my camera there, getting my point of view, getting me from the front, getting me from the back and once I got on the top of the devil's triangle and started to um, descend into the valley, that's when the the throttle went out, and so I'm on these I come off of it, and I'm continuing to accelerate forward so I was having to cuz it's like what is going on I couldn't really stop because there was no shoulder to pull off on to check to check that so I was having to manually you know come off the throttle but keep feathering the clutch because once you're on those hairpin curves if you let go of that clutch I mean you're shooting off like a rocket because it'll automatically peg you out on the RPMs and then uh shoot it up you know I mean, you'll redline on it, yeah. And um, so I was, I was kind of freaking out. That was probably, I mean, you can hear me talking on my camera, and you can see me as I'm riding, checking underneath the the uh, tank there to see if there's a way that I can fix it. So as soon as we got off the triangle, it was just like I'm, I'm noticing that that's what's causing this, and so I would have to manually stop and pull that throttle cable down just to you know keep that that plastic from getting stuck and i had to adjust it afterwards but i was pretty scared pretty nervous at that point thankfully i mean it would not have ended well had i no. not been in control of that but uh, that is not a place that you want that to happen now is it because we were filming and just kind of a weird luck sort of thing again i'm kind of superstitious and so when I was filming for the Sunset Hill House, when things started going kind of, kind of weird there, there were a few times I would not ride my motorcycle just because mm-hmm. out of superstition, yeah. and um, and we were filming Sunset Hill House at the point when we were also filming there at Brushy Mountain, so um, that's probably been the scariest. Thankfully, I've not. I did lay, uh, I did lay my old bike, my Vulcan 750, which was a Kawasaki. I did lay that down. At a, thankfully it was more of a rolling stop kind of situation. But I've uh, been very, very lucky. Knock on wood. But no, I, no have, <laughs> I have heard some crazy stories from people. And when you talk about am I more scared of the living or the the spirits? I'll take that a step further and say I'm a, more scared of the living drivers than I am oh, no uh, doubt. of yeah anything. Yeah, it's defensive. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm
0: glad you're okay. But yeah, to have that happen at the devil's would you say Tri-table the double triangle? triangle yeah i mean it makes for great content though am i right, <laughs> it, right? Really <laughs> it really does
1: it really does so what are some of the most memorable experiences that you've had since starting your paranormal investigation i mean you've talked about like shaking floors mm-hmm. fire erupting <laughs> yeah. like what what are the ones that have just stuck with you and like you continue to just like think about,
2: um, that that's definitely two of of my most memorable ones. There, um, you know the definitely the floor shaking because I I have yet to ever experience that again, um, and that just lets you know just the power that that you experience at some of these locations that some of these spirits have. Um, another one would probably have to be. One that, so we just released season five back in October and I covered all haunted jails. And so if I can theme these locations a season, I I really like to do that. And um, there was one, it, it truly blew my mind. You know, you have these experiences, like I said, I've had where things have been pulled off the wall, shadow figures, that sort of thing. But to me, whenever they're able to respond to you intelligently, that that's a memorable, mind blowing experience. And and I was investigating the um, old Fentress County Jail. And this is a location that's not open to the public for investigations. They have had a few investigators there. The uh, Chamber of Commerce in Fentress County is located in that jail. They also housed one of um, their most infamous inmates. And and he really had um pretty high status. He was on uh, the FBI's most wanted list for a while. His name was Billy Dean Anderson, and he was essentially a, an escape artist. And so um, they said that when they had had other people in investigating this jail, they hadn't really gotten a lot of activity but um, they let me come in two weeks in a row. And so I was there about six hours each investigation. And so um, Billy Dean Anderson, not only was he infamous for his crimes, but he was also famous for his for his paintings. And he painted a lot of pictures, especially of Jesus Christ. And when he was younger, wanted to be a preacher. And so um While he was hiding from the FBI, he was hiding out. He lived uh, two years in a cave. And so inside that cave, they actually found some of his uh, paintbrushes and old paint tools and stuff. And so um, on this particular occasion, when I was investigating there, hadn't really got a lot of activity leading up to it, but... Uh, I had my Obelisk 5 and then I also had a spirit box and I brought in some paintbrushes. And so as I was sitting there trying to talk to Billy Dean Anderson, I unwrapped this paintbrush and I never once said what I was unwrapping because I don't like to try to taint any of my equipment that I'm using by saying what I'm doing. And so as I'm addressing him, I pull out the paintbrush and I was like, if you can see this item here can you please tell me, you know, what I'm holding? And so on the spirit box, it says paintbrush. And of course, the spirit box is a modified AM FM radio. It's not hooked up to a microphone. It's not hooked up to, you know, apps or anything like that. And so it said paintbrush. And I was like, continue to talk a little bit more. And he said mine. Well, I then take it into another one of the sales. And of course, I'm talking about him being a good artist and everything. As I continue to do it, hold it up. And I'm like, can you tell me again what this is? And on my ovilus, it says paint. I mean, I was blown away because there's no way unless they could truly see me that, you know, this was um, that this was happening. So I also ask about playing um playing a card game i said would you like to to play cards and i was trying to create an atmosphere of this is kind of what would be going on at any given night in a jail really wanted to make them comfortable so that maybe they would communicate with me so i laid five cards out and before i said it and asked if they wanted to play a game they were they came across the uh, ovilus and said guess So I'm like, yeah, we'll play a guessing game. So I put the cards face down and I said, if you can tell me the color, the name of what card this is, the suit, um, you know, we'll, you know, you'll get, you'll get something for this or whatever. And so I said, "Um, but any of that, if you can tell me any of that, that'd be great. Out of the five cards and I was raising these, raising the cards up, it called out three of the cards. What? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was I have no explanation. I was I was completely blown away by and and this would have been on the spirit box. Um, It called out a seven and I had held up a seven. Um, And I mean, I I have no explanation other than the fact that they were able to see. And and so um, after that, it said, I win, and <laughs> and yes, um actually. and said money, and so they a were money. clearly wanting me to give them money for winning. <laughs> but to me, that was a very memorable experience because all of because these people who worked at the chamber of commerce, they're like, we have weird things happen. Someone who came in and investigated before said that they're not, they didn't get anything. But my theory behind that is, you know. As as a person or really as, uh, you know, someone involved in this, if you have activity at at a location and people don't want this activity there, you know, they'll often say, you know, I came in and this happened. And because this happened, I don't go back to that location, you know. So they're conditioning the spirit or whoever is in there that it's like, if I do this, that person's not going to come around. So why would yeah. I do it? You know, mm. and so that's why in the very beginning, when things seem kind of quiet, I would investigate in one area. You would hear something off in the corner. I'd go to that corner and investigate. And then you would hear something in the corner that I was just at, almost like they were going away from me. And so I wanted to and that's why I went two weeks in a row was because I wanted to say, if you'll do this, I'm going to come back and talk to you. And then also um, let me create an environment that you're comfortable in that, you know, this may be what you experience on a daily basis. And so to me, that was very memorable because I have absolutely no explanation other than intelligent and aware activity. Um, You know, that it may have not been dramatic, but i have no explanation. so those oh, no, would that's
1: very cool. those would
2: probably be my my three memories um my most memorable moments i would say.
1: we're complete novices when it comes to all of this and i we've i've heard of the spirit box where mm-hmm. it takes am fm and uh sort of combines them and gives the spirit basically power to voice themselves through the waves yes. or whatever right? Mm-hmm. i don't know what al- of, is it ovelus? What is yes. this? Yes, so i don't, haven't heard of this one before.
2: It's an ovelus five, and it it's a very cool tool. It 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 almost looks like a little walkie-talkie, and so it actually does a lot more than what a lot of people give it credit for. But it's got a screen on it, and you can ask true/false questions, um, yes/no questions. It will also draw. It will do phonetics. But what a lot of people use it for is it's got a word bank in it, and. It's got two antennas that come up. And so the theory behind that is the spirit uses its energy to manipulate the word bank. And so you'll see the words on the screen. They'll also say them out loud. Sometimes it will throw out just kind of like mumbo jumbo stuff. Um, But other times it you're able you know, you get certain things that you're able to um you know, put pieces of the story together with. So um, I'm very careful when I use it because now it's it's not an app. It's independent of your phone. So there's no microphone. There's no uh, nothing that's going or there's no GPS attached to it that it's going to read from. It's supposed to just be just just a straight up word bank. And so but I'd like to really use that again rather than saying, you know, what color is this rose that's in my hand or what, you know, asking leading questions. I still try to be very careful about what kind of questions I'm asking just so, you know, to kind of help with the integrity and the purity of the responses that comes from that.
0: So I know you said that it was unexplained how you, you can't Mm -hmm. explain it, but I was curious, do you have a theory about where these spirits are residing? Like, you know, Part of the reason we start mm-hmm. this podcast is just for some confirmation that there's more after what we see mm-hmm. right now, right? So are we going to heaven or or an afterlife, or why are some spirits still here walking? Is it another dimension? Is it time travel of some sort? what do you what is your do you have a theory, I suppose, about my where theory these seems are? to
2: change the more of this that I do because <laughs> it I feel like w- the more I do, the more I learn. Um, I I am a Christian and I do believe in heaven and hell. Uh, I don't believe that everyone that dies necessarily becomes a a spirit or I mean a a ghost, if you will. Um, I do believe that everyone that's gone on has the opportunity to be able to communicate with us. Um personally myself I believe that heaven and hell is a little bit closer than what we think. I think the veil is is thin. I think I think they're continually all around us just in a different place. But I tend to believe a lot of things especially when you're talking about jails, when you're talking about um different locations, I believe that there's a difference in the spirit and the energy. And, you know, because to me, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around, you know, someone's killed in a hotel room and so that their spirit is doomed and trapped to stay there. That just is such a sad existence to me. And now, do I believe that there's energy deposited? Absolutely. And I think that, that some places hold energy more than others. And that, um, like like with a jail, you've got the iron bars, you know, you're almost, it's almost like being inside of a Faraday cage. Um, so this energy is being held inside there, especially when something traumatic happens. But I also believe that that energy, not the soul, but some of that spiritual energy stays where it's happiest as well, you know, or where it has a connection to. So... Um, I know that's probably not really answering your question, because like I said, I kind of, my theory kind of shifts. Um, I don't always, in, in some instances, I do believe we are speaking with the person. In other instances, I do believe we're speaking with their their energy that's been deposited within that location. And to me, that just sort of explains why you can have the same activity from essentially the same spirit in different locations.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. like the omnipresence, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no right or wrong answer to that question. Just curious, and yeah, if if I think we'd end the podcast if we all knew, right? <laughs> right, right. Be done.
1: <laughs> Do you have a bucket list of places that you
2: would like to go
1: oh. to? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. What are some? What are some of those?
2: So for me, um, for me, because it's a lot about the trip rather than the destination, uh, several that I would like to visit, um, I would like to take off on uh, Route 66 and just take the motorcycle, go out stopping at some of these different locations and uh, just investigating, doing some roadside investigations um, there. The Mississippi Blues Trail, uh, the Natchez Trace, really kind of uh, going and and just sharing the stories of some of those lesser known places that are along these very well-known routes, sharing their stories and seeing if uh, there's some activity there.
1: I love this idea. Just like, you know what, I'm going to just leave town, see where the road and the spirits take me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Do you think there's a wrong way to do paranormal investigating?
2: Um... You know, I, I I don't know if I would say there's a wrong way, I guess, because all of our journeys are are different. And I know there's a big difference. You know, some people are in it for the thrill seeking. Some are in it for the the history. Some are in, in it for the scientific. Um, and some are just, you know, not even really sure why they're here. They're just kind of have a little bit of an interest in it. I think there's a place for everyone with it. Um, I think the wrong way is is not really setting your not setting your boundaries, not setting your intentions beforehand, really knowing why you're in this. Again, it can change once you get into it. But to me, that's, you know, some people, because we have YouTubers and we've got uh, ones that just go in, just looking for that instant gratification and others that take a lot of time, you know, going through their research and stuff. I think that really just kind of defining why you're in it And also if you have an audience that's watching because you do have fakers and different things like that, I think if you define it as for entertainment purposes or that, you know, this is more of a scientific research thing, I think just setting those intentions and uh, setting what you're there for personally, and then also for those that's consuming your content, I think that's what to me personally defines the right and wrong way to do it.
1: Yeah. What are your favorite tools to use
2: when doing the investigation? So I love my dowsing rods. Um, Those I like those because here, at least here in the southeast, it's, it's something that a lot of the spirits that we're communicating with are familiar with. Um, a lot of them used them for the utilitarian purpose of finding water. water and uh yeah so so they're familiar with that also you don't have to worry about the battery drain and <laughs> you can yeah you can and and they're very simple because we don't we don't know the spirits that we're talking to we don't know what their comprehension level is of the tools that we're using you know when you're asking them to touch a lot their concept of a lot might be a candle you know and so they may not want to touch it because they're afraid of touching a candle. Um, of course I, f- I feel like they learn in time, you know, but, uh, but the rods are simple, you know, yes, no questions, directional questions. Um, I like that. And then I like my EDI plus box. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. No. Um, so it's, it's essentially to me, it's, it's, an an atmospheric measurement box. So uh, the box has, uh, it measures temperature in real time. It measures spikes in hot and cold. So not only will the temperature change to what it currently is in the moment, but if there's like a a cold rush or a heat rush that comes up to it, it'll notify you of that. It also notifies pressure changes as well as uh, humidity changes. And one thing I've noticed when that pressure changes, you tend to get more EVPs and disembodied voices. So when that lights up, kind of be aware of what's going on around because a pressure change does tend to signify that. It also has a built-in K2 meter on it. And so it shows EMF fluctuations. And then it also has um, a geofoam on it, which measures vibration and something has to physically touch it to get that to go off. So I'll always like to have that tool with me so I can kind of measure if a flashlight goes off, if a REM pod goes off, if any of these other tools go off, you can measure it with atmospheric changes and and see if you can correlate that with anything specific going on in the moment. So I like to keep those those two
0: tools with me all the time. Very cool. You had mentioned K2 Hide and Seek earlier, Mm -hmm. and that just sounds fun, Uh but I don't know what that is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) so a k2 is a basic paranormal tool um in in its daily life electricians use it to find you know spikes in emf they also use it to find open conduits yeah oh, it's like
0: the two little we've got mitch loses and buys those every day i feel like we've got yes. like 30 around oh so okay okay okay
2: so yeah so that's what that's used for um i like to use it especially when i'm dealing with kids um i did this on one of my episodes at the grand old lady hotel there's kids up on this the, the third floor and so um you can take it through and of course it it lights up from green to red and it's supposed supposed to pick up or the theory is if there's uh if you have nothing else interacting on it like any type of wi-fi or electricity or even your cell phones if all of that is turned off and it lights up it's theorized that a spirit you know could be using their energy to light that up so if they're hiding we'll go through with k2 meters and uh you know kind of look around you know you just tell them you're going to be playing hide and seek and we've had them pop out in one instance i even had a kid hiding behind a chair and it spiked up and caught a giggle at the same time it spiked up Caught it on the camera and then also on the SLS camera caught a small stick figure uh, on that around the same place where the the K2 lit up. So when you can get two tools or three tools lighting up at the same time, it it just takes it to a whole other level. If it lights up once or if one tool is acting on it, that's great. But when you can get several, it's kind of hard to deny that.
0: Totally, That's cool. I didn't even know I had a ghost hunting tool or several of them in our garage. (laughs) Oh, I I know exactly what that is. Yeah, I firmly
2: believe that, you know, if a spirit wants to use a smoke detector to communicate with you, they'll find a way to manipulate their energy. We just have to be open and we have to watch. Um, And that's, that's the thing I love about this. And when we were talking about the wrong and right way to do things, you know, you've got people, there's a doctor that I like to follow that uses medical equipment, you know, and he'll use heart monitors and different things uh, and copper mesh to try to measure, you know, so I love seeing the unique ways that people have found. And I feel like that if a spirit wants to communicate, they'll find, the way that you'll listen to them. We just have to be open-minded and, you know, just really pay attention because it happens a lot more frequently than what people realize. Um
0: a smoke detector sounds like one of the more obnoxious ways for them yeah. to try to communicate. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. But we have had one, we had a story about a guy who you know, we had a listener write in about that. <laughs> yeah, about the smoke detectors using it to communicate. But we're like, oh man, that sounds like a nightmare.
1: Nightmare. Right. <laughs> so Miranda If somebody wants to watch your web series or follow your live interviews, how can they
2: discover that? sure so um so you can watch uh this past season season 5 and all the other seasons on the ghostbiker explorations facebook page ghostbiker explorations youtube channel and www.ghostbikerexplorations.com uh, i do host a weekly live stream called shop talk live from the ghostbiker garage where i have podcasters, authors, people who are out in the paranormal community doing things, um, sharing their stories. That is every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And that's on uh, Ghostbiker Explorations YouTube channel and Facebook page as well.
0: I just wanted to give you an opportunity to plug the Scott County Jail as well, because we before this realized that you are in cahoots with our ex or ex guest, That was not how that <laughs> to come reword out. reword it, reword it. <laughs> you, uh, you went into business with a previous guest of our podcast and you bought a haunted jail. So if you could just tell us a little bit more about that and where you can find that as well.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, you know, so I had been doing ghost
2: biker explorations for five years. And um, and earlier on, after I guess my first season, I ended up meeting uh, Dr. Christy Sumner from Soul Sisters Paranormal. And we did an investigation at Henry, Real, Henry River Mill Village. We found out that we really had a very similar style of investigating as well as, uh, you know, the history was one of the things that was Paramount and most important, and then the the paranormal secondary, and so so we really kind of struck it off. had a, had a uh, instant friendship, and um, to, I guess it was, it's been about a year and a half ago we formed the company History Highways and Haunts, and went and opened up the historic Scott County Jail in Huntsville, Tennessee. During the day, it's a true crime museum, and then after dark. We have uh, flashlight tours, guided ghost hunts where you can come and ghost hunt with myself or Dr. Sumner. And then we also have it open as a paranormal research center where paranormal investigators can come in, spend the night, conduct research there. And so, um, we, you know, this location, it had been closed for closed in 2008. We opened it up in 2021 and the activity that we've gotten from there has It it continues to blow my mind with the way we're able to validate through history and really even get some pieces of the puzzle, everything from disembodied voices, shadow figures. um, I mean, you name it, this this location has gotten, um, again, very intelligent and aware spirits. So um, you can actually check that out again, investigate with us. Uh, on the Historic Scott County Jail Facebook page or www.historicscottcojail.com.
1: That's very cool. very cool. If I'm ever in Tennessee, I'm, I'll be there. Yes. Please. Probably not the nighttime one because I'm a scared cat. <laughs> I know.
0: And I'll, I apologize. Doctor Christy. I think we called her Chris. We didn't even call her doctor. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> we were very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Dr. Sumner.
1: <laughs> okay. At the end of all of our Skeletalks, Alyssa and I like to ask a final question. What three objects would Alyssa and I need to bring to you a seance to summon you from the afterlife?
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely a motorcycle and uh, old. Oh, yeah. Anything from the late 40s to a, a late 60s motorcycle would uh, definitely do that, or at least the sound of uh, the engine revving. <laughs>
0: nice. Um,
2: I would probably have to say also uh, probably a set of drawing pencils because I'm mm. I'm an artist and uh, I draw a lot of uh, haunted locations that I visit and between investigating and motorcycle riding uh, drawing is probably my second happy place. Oh, um, I didn't even talk about that. That's I know awesome. we're both we're both <laughs> artists as well. We oh, very draw. cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, and then I guess probably. That third item that's a a little bit trickier but I would probably have to say um I'd have to say a potato because I love I love <laughs> potatoes and I that's love the
0: potato. <laughs> We can do that. All right. I, were... love, I love this answer so much.
1: This is genuinely a party. A listen, I would go to. We'd there ride you up went. on our old vintage bikes that are Hot not our
0: apart. ruckuses? we we'll get right? there in like 3 months
1: that's we've hilarious. got we've got tupperwares of potatoes <laughs> oh and we're God. drawing oh, there you go Brilliant. It's,
0: it's a party
2: potatoes pencils and and uh <laughs> potato party. And, and
0: i was like motorcycles but that's poop yeah i was I gonna say know. there's no vintage po- <laughs> um wait any particular kind of potato or any potato oh like or Fra- form Fra- Ka- Fra- yeah mean. yeah like fried Fried, like
1: french french fries
0: french
2: fries Fries. or just just straight up southern fried potatoes Mm. yeah now i really want potatoes (laughs)
0: love it i'm always in the mood for a potato there's like i'll eat it yeah that's me Like literally, I think we could do this dance right now. But it, it would—you
2: would bring so? me forward
0: in like
2: <laughs> there would be no time, and you would know it was me. All right, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love
2: Beautiful, it.
1: Uh, Miranda. It has been a genuine delight, and I just want to say I've—I've I've watched a little bit of your web series, and it is edited beautifully. The Thanks. videography is done so well. Everyone, go head over to. The website Ghost Biker Explorations, and you will not be disappointed. Thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, wait, wait. one More thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hot y'all later.
1: Hot ah, y'all you later.
2: later. <laughs> <laughs> Good night.